Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What, a comics podcast for Savage Critics website. As you may recall, Graham McMillan and I dared to spend the night in a creepy haunted house, and that house was episode 55. It nearly destroyed our sanity, and now there's only my crazy, gibbering voice left to warn you. Beware. Beware. Actually, you may have a better time than we did, considering some of our maddened jabberings are pretty enjoyable. Among the topics discussed in this installment are Trial of the Flash, more bitching about Flashpoint number 5, Thor the Movie, the first volume of Bakuman, Fighting American and Newsboy Legion, Kid Eternity, The Marketing of Schism, and much, much more. As always, thanks for listening, and by all means, send your gossip, questions, and waffle-related stories to waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. We hope you enjoy, and please, please learn from our terrifying fate. Failing that, we thank you for listening. Trial of the Flash Showcase. I enjoyed talking about this with Graham immensely. There's no way I'm going to be able to resum up my talking <laughs> points. Maybe someday we'll okay, revisit well, let, it. Let's but... start with the fact that Trial of the Flash Showcase is mind-blowing. And yes. it's mind bl- it was mind-blowing for me even though I knew the plot. I, if I did not know the plot, I right. might have just quit comics right there and then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, because I, you almost can't get any better. I knew the end point, but I did not know it how it got there. The last, I don't know, 40 to 60 pages of the tr- Trial of the Flash showcase is so incredibly insane and mind melting and goes in weird directions that lead you to believe that, among other things, Flash has fallen in love with a big bald man with a weird mustache. But, but to be fair, he has. Oh, he totally has. I mean, it's, it's like, you say that as if he hasn't, but he has. Oh, yeah, yeah, There's yeah. just a reveal after that. Yeah, don't say that. Like, I'm like, let you savor it. Because believe me, when you savor the sequence where they they confess their love for each other in the Death Trap, it's it's just like the best thing in comics ever. It really was fantastic. Uh, also, Death Trap, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Also, Death Trap. Also, I should point out that as far as I'm concerned, having read Flashpoint and having read Trial of the Flash, that I consider jury tampering to be the only acceptable use of time travel from now on. Uh, that was the be- one of the many great parts of Trial of the Flash is the fact that you have not one, but apparently two people actually traveling back in time to tamper with a jury. It was awesome. If only they could do this in like regular shows, like if Lost had been, a, if it had been Law and Order Lost, that would have been. An oh my god, that that show. is the show that you should pitch to the TV right now. They would <laughs> snap that up. You could even do. I, no, seriously, you could actually do like a police procedural that's paced like Lost, where you have the the trial going on and then you have flashbacks to what happened in the crime. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That would actually work. That would actually work, especially if you started throwing in more and more insane stuff like Bigfoot. You know, for example, or so. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I, we're going to take a break now because Jeff has just invented a show that we think we could sell to television. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's so much great stuff in in Trial of the Flash. I totally, if you have 20 bucks, read it, uh, get it. Uh, one of the things I know some people uh, will have trouble with the fact that it's not in color. Um, I loved it, not only because it pushed Carmen Infantino's insane design sense to the fore, uh, but also because in the latter half of the book, when the reverse Flash is running around, even though he's seemingly dead, 
You cannot tell that it is not the Flash except for dialogue and context. And I was actually I, I, and convinced even then, that it was. You, yeah, you can't necessarily tell that it's not the Flash. Yeah, even it, then. It, it is one of those moments where the fake out is completely helped by the yeah. white color. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I found that uh, truly delightful. But there are there are just mind-bending moments that are going on there. I think part of it is, and you might not have got the same sense, but I think they're... I don't think they always knew they were heading towards the climax they are heading towards. No, I, I think they ended up with a very different climax in the last issue than where I, they were going to in the first year or two years. And I think definitely it, uh, when, for example, Cecile Horton gets introduced. Yes. They're trying to set up a whole new supporting cast. Yeah, absolutely. And they're thinking long term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the fact that I mean, I would say even two or three issues before the end, they still think that there's something afterwards. Yes. Yeah, I think so, too. I think uh, so, too. And I, I, I should explain, in case no one knows, Trial of Flash actually ended the, the original Flash run. It got yeah. cancelled with the final issue. Um, and so there's... I think one of the reasons that it is such of a headfuck is because you're going to where you think... Or rather, where you think it's going is probably where the creators thought that it was going at the same time. Yes. So it's not like they're planting clues for you to pick up on. And so when the craziness really happens, it really is from out of nowhere. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. kind of spectacular. Yeah. Although, even still, I mean, it's very clear that some of the things that they had lined up, that he very dutifully lined up like two years earlier, and then decides to take maybe in a different direction. So... There are things that are there in place, and then they don't go the way you suspect, and so it's spectacular. Once the trial's underway, and you have a, a mysterious stranger on the jury, you have the return flight. The actual murder victim is apparently back from the dead and intimidating other characters, and you're getting all sorts of legal hijinks with you know people falling apart under cross-examination and stuff you realize carrie bates has made it a million times more complicated almost than he had to and i love him for that so much more but also carrie bates knowledge of the american legal system is at best flawed oh yeah i I would say that flawed is the uh, the idea that they don't have enough evidence to support a case of manslaughter so they're going to turn into a murder one that is the best spectacular we, yeah. we can't prove that it's manslaughter, so we're turning it to murder because yeah. that's much easier to prove. Yeah, 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 exactly. It, uh, no, it is, it is, it is. Um, yeah, come for the, come for the legal hijinks. Stay for the mind-bending insanity. It really is. A the funny thing is, like, we're 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 now like, you know, this is awesome. It's so enjoyable. If that was coming out today, we'd be ripping it shreds. It's it's it'd be like Flashpoint. It'd be like, well, that comes from nowhere. Uh, you know, okay, here's the thing. I, 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 I think this is a really good point, actually, because I was thinking about this. I, I'm i almost inclined to disagree because there are some comics that are insane that come out now that people actually talk well of. You know what I mean? Like, this is, like, it is like, like, like what? Hmm, I knew you were going to pull, pull this on me. No, because I'm going to say, like, if you're going to say Axe Cop, for example, I don't think that's a fair... Yeah, I think it's fair because no, Axe Cop is known for being the insane books written by sure. a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally. Agree I, with I think you. that the end of Trial of the Flash mm-hmm. is 
as out of nowhere as the end of Flashpoint. And I think the difference is, or at least for me, Flashpoint is destructive for the character. Right. For Flashpoint to work, you basically have to say, this guy is doing something that is the opposite of what he believes in Mm -hmm. at every given opportunity, and also then not remembering it. The Trial of the Flash is crazy. I mean, it's much, much more out of nowhere than Flashpoint is, because it has has multiple things that come out of nowhere. Yeah, especially if you don't know anything about the character's past history at all. Exactly. You're like, really? What? What the fuck? But it's all... um, I don't want to say all for the good, but it's definitely all uh, supportive of the character. Right. Right. There's very much a a do-no-harm sense. Well, you know what? Honestly, Graham, there's a do no harm sense, but I, I'm really tempted to like sit down. I wish I had I had sat down and like mapped it out. But one of the things that why I think that this would get a slightly higher rating coming out now is like you said, equally insane and out of left field. But there is so much more jammed into an issue of the Flash in the Trial of the Flash storylines than there is in Flashpoint. You know what I mean? Like, you really do. Like, looking at that last issue of The Flash, which admittedly is double-sized, I Mm -hmm. think, um, you have... It's definitely oversized, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... You have a a recap of what's going on. You've got a death trap with the rogues. You have an absurd escape sequence where they get away. You've got the bald guy and Flash. Um, They end up actually escaping one death trap where the courthouse is destroyed. They have a situation where the rogues escape. Barry Allen turns up at his parents' you, yeah, place. Yeah, you, you can't, like, you can't go through all the scenes because you will give it, It'll, yeah, we'll away. both die when I will run out of, I will run out of saliva. But there are, like, there's a lot happening, you know what I mean? And they're kind of, Flashpoint is, despite the fact that it is taking place at the end of the world with a showdown between Flash and Reverse Flash, it is the most skimpiest, barely parsed out end of the world. Reverse Flash has been doing nothing for four issues. Why he shows up at this point? You have no idea. Like, he shows up at that point because it's the end of the story, Jeff. Well, yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. Like, every stage of it is so... Like, if you think about it, how fucked up would it be if Flash actually helps everyone save the world? And it's in tatters, but it's still together. And then the reverse Flash shows up and tells him that it was all Barry's fault and he saved a wrecked, ruined world that was never supposed to exist, and everyone in it is, like, damaged and extreme and crippled for life because of him. In a weird way, I would rather that Barry has saved the world in Flashpoint issue 2 and then find out it was all his fault. Yeah. And then you had everyone basically turn on him. Yeah, 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 exactly. There could have been so many... Or even have things where you have a situation where... Yeah, that becomes obvious and, you know, that he created this world. It gets out among everyone and then essentially everyone starts trying to use him for their own ends, you know? And so you kind of have a weird, like, like if you want meta in your Flashpoint, like, why not show Barry Allen as being the last true hero who's being exploited 
by a corrupt, realistic world that he's inadvertently created, you know, that, that really just wants more ways to make money or energy or their family back from him. You know what I mean? Well, so. good, good luck with that. Yeah. I, I know, because Jeff Johns wouldn't write that story. No, of course he wouldn't, because Jeff Johns is convinced that he's writing one type of story that actually celebrates heroism and everyone's good intentions, while he also gets to craft a, a, a story where the Enchantress is crushed by Superman's death taint. So, he gets, like you said, in, I, I don't know, I'm like, oh, it's like Flashpoint. I don't even know which version of our podcast you said this in, but... You know, the idea that Jeff Johns crafts these things so that he can have his cake and eat it too. And that really is such an exasperating part of Flashpoint, that there's this whole hidden crisis that we don't know about, that this whole world is being closed off, and yet you now have three, two people who know about it and an actual physical object from a timeline that doesn't exist that arguably explains everything for everyone. It would be, I mean, we're never going to see this because Flashpoints will never, ever, ever be mentioned again. And let's face it, that's probably a good thing. But it, I would be very curious to see if they're ever going to do a story where they're like, that letter's gone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Even if they had some sort of weird footnote at the end of the issue, mm-hmm. where like the letter disappears while Batman is reading it. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, even that would, that be so much would better. have been better. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And then they had no idea. In fact, I was going to do a callback to Doctor Who, which you totally don't watch, but um, there's a point where Amy, who's the Doctor's companion, her fiancé dies and gets wiped out of time. Mm-hmm. Okay? And she's incredibly distraught, and she's like, I'm not going to remember him, I'm not going to remember him, I'm not going to remember him. And the Doctor essentially does what Batman and Flash talk about at the end of Flashpoint, which is basically, you know, you'll remember them emotionally, just keep hold of it, they'll still exist. And there is an explosion, and she forgets everything after that moment. Oh. And it is so heart-wrenching, because she goes from just in tears, completely distraught, mm-hmm. to being like, what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. And something like that would have been wonderful at the end of Flashpoint. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been. But I, but there were different things going on with Flashpoint. Things that make me want to punch it in the face repeatedly so it's um, or Jeff Jones can I can we officially say that you're threatening violence towards Jeff Jones no 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 I said it I would like to punch Jeff Jones products in the face I think Jeff Jones would actually kick my ass because he's been going to the gym for two years see if you started going to the gym then you could kick his ass I have been going to the gym <laughs> but <Ba-dum-tsh. laughs> Uh, I had some points about the Thor movie that I'm not going to recap. Uh, we had some points about Bakuman that... Oh, no, no, actually, you have one point about the Thor movie that I really think you should recap because it blew my mind when you said it, which um, is, in yes. the Thor movie, they're ripping off other Kirby things. Yes, yeah, this is something that other people may have caught on to, but I, who saw Thor uh, in a hotel room in Reno, and by Thor I mean the movie, not a male stripper, and the thing that shocked me about it was that a movie based on Stanley and Jack Kirby's Thor actually ripped off other Jack Kirby comics, uh, in particular the fact that Loki's origin is revised in the movie so that it is actually far closer to the pact 
from Fourth World, where uh, ch children are swapped for the good and potential peacemaking of a kingdom. Uh, that blew my mind, and also what blew my mind is that the Rainbow Bridge slash Bifrost thing is clearly a boom tube in the movie. Very, very clearly, Jack Kirby's boom tube has been cut and pasted into the Thor movie, and that really blew my mind, and apparently blew Gramps. So. I know, I realize also, because we're talking about Kirby, and I didn't say this last time, so it's all new, all new now! Um, I've been reading Kirby's top stuff. Or rather, hmm. I've been reading the Kirbyverse stuff from tops based on Kirby ideas. Now, how did you get that? Because I'd be kind of curious in reading that shit now. The internet might have been involved. Okay, fair enough. Uh, although I will be actually buying the issues because Excalibur has a half-off sale this weekend. Oh, ow. Okay. So... That's great. I can borrow them from you. Sorry. Um, yeah, the the uh, it's it's really weird. I actually read it because I've been enjoying Kirby so much, the mm -hmm. the um, Dynamite series. Right. And basically, I was like, well, I wonder what the earlier published versions of these characters is like. Right. And it's Roy Thomas and Steve Ditko. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's really, it's really enjoyable. It's really not Kirby. Mm -hmm. It's very Marvel. Mm -hmm. Do you know exactly. what I mean? And there, there's, yeah. a, there's a big difference. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. In fact, it's really interesting that you mention that because I would say that Roy Thomas is the anti-Kirby. I mean, he's he's he is the voice. He is literally the person that was able to create post-Jack Kirby Marvel. And he actually fostered a whole bunch of tastes and talents that I feel hewed more closely to a Marvel... He helped create a Marvel House style in a yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. That... He, he really is responsible for Marvel as much as Stan Lee, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And so in that sense, it, make, it, it makes a lot of sense to me that Kirby and Thomas are opposites in a way. And in fact, Kirby had some really brutal slams of Roy Thomas in his fourth world. Oh office. God, yeah, House Roy, yeah. House Roy is in unbelievably mean. Uh, impressively so for Kirby. Uh, and so it kind of makes sense in a way to me that you've got Roy Thomas doing Kirby stuff and it being not very Kirby-ish at all. That's really it's, it's It's fun. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's actually enjoyable. And I read, I want to say Satan 6 mm -hmm. at the time and just hated it. Mm -hmm. Hated it so much. Um, and so I've not read that. I've only been reading the Secret City Saga, which is the... the uh, Thomas Dicko mm -hmm. uh, stuff but the city, Secret City Saga also apparently spins off into one shots by like Jerry Conway and Don Heck and people wow um, so yeah I'm really going to be hitting the back of your pins uh, this weekend and trying to get some of that stuff the other thing I should mention about Thor that I realized because this is something that I think I can say more concisely uh, is that I really like Sif in the movie Thor because she was essentially just one of the guys. She just kicked ass and was a female figure rather than her role in the Thor comics, which was love interest first and warrior second, which meant the warrior second was way distant. Here she just exists to kick ass, and some of the stuff that she does in the movie is like, oh, she seems like just a very cool, like, she's just there for people who don't know that she's serving fan services purposes she actually just comes off like a female hero that kicks ass that is 
there without any sort of um, a forethought. And I thought that that was really surprisingly healthy. Um, and again, I, I'm going to say that uh, for me, Thor and Green Lantern are not a million miles away in terms of quality. And I'm surprised that the people who love Thor and hate Green Lantern. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the two are remarkably similar. Yes. One thing that I didn't add in this story recap is that I liked the Earth sequences and found the scenes on Asgard excruciatingly dull. And in that sense, it does remind me of Green Lantern. I think, I think for me, Thor works a little bit better just because Kenneth Branagh's got better comedic chops and therefore makes the scenes on Earth in, in the Thor movie feel more full than the scenes, most similar scenes in the Green Lantern movie feel even though arguably Green Lantern has a lot more time and care crafted into trying to create characters. You know, there are no real characters in Thor at all, except maybe Thor and especially Loki. And there you have it. Thor, kind of shitty. The end. Wait, no, Thor, kind of good the end. That was the part I was going for. (laughs) You just said there's no real characters. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. Is is the thing that's amazing? Is is that uh, is that between the performance of the actors and Brennig's direction of the timing, uh, those were actually good. Like those are good. Like they're effective, but technically, you realize they're not actually good, and yet they work. So that steps out of kind of shitty. Whereas like Green Lantern has a bunch of stuff crafted into it, and really apart from Peter shitty. yeah, yeah, he was really good. I still think that he was. He was from a different film altogether. He was from a good Green Lantern film. He really was from a good Green Lantern movie where he, he actually, they made it work. And God bless them. Because, yeah, he was creepy. Um, what other stuff did we talk about? Oh, Bakaman. Yes, Bakaman, Graham Red, Volume 1, and uh, was I, intrigued. Yes, intrigued is a really, really good way of putting it. I, I'm, I definitely want to read more. Mm-hmm. I really don't know if I enjoyed it or just want to read more because I am it's one of these things where I am compelled and yet don't know why. Right. Um, it's a really odd hyper emotional uber misogynistic weirdly nerdy in terms of the amount of detail about the history of manga series that the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of surprised that it appeals to people who aren't comic nerds, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much about the format. Mm-hmm. And it's so clunky. I mean, we talked about Flashpoint being an expositionary comic. Bakuman is insanely expositionary. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, you get two points in Bakuman, the, the recent volumes that I've read, Volume 6. Is it Volume 6 and Volume 7 or just Volume 6? But Volume 6 is so heavy in exposition that there's there are panels that are just word bubbles and maybe the portion of somebody's face. Uh, it is truly so exposition-heavy and nerdy, and yet... I feel it works. I told Graham to keep reading because I think volumes two and three actually pick up the nerdy detail, keep some of the melodrama, but the melodrama and especially the misogyny. I mean, the the melodrama is just crazy, though. The melodrama is just... It's one of those things where if you actually ever stop and think about what's happening... Yeah. Like, it goes on momentum. If you stop and think about what's happening, you can't keep going because the plot makes no fucking sense. Totally. Totally, totally, yeah. Absolutely. But but the, but the, the the emotion 
Mm-hmm. It's it's um we've talked about this before that like I'm a I'm an emotional reader insofar mm-hmm. as like the, a plot doesn't have to make sense for me as long as I I'm, I'm emotionally connected to the work. Right. And I think that might be what's taking me through in Bakuman. Yeah. Because the emotion is so heightened. Yeah. And that that is one of the things that is wonderful to me. What what helps is future volumes, the emotion the emotionality becomes about creating and refining oneself as an artist. Uh, and that that then it just becomes totally fucking addictive. In but, a truly weird way, I I would not be surprised if that's when I started to drop off. It, yeah, I suppose that's the case. I can see that. Which to me is interesting, Graham, because in that sense, I feel like we should be able to find you at <laughs> least... We should be able to find you a manga you'll enjoy. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, I love, I love Death Note. You know that. Yeah, I know. I know. But and because it reached some great insane levels, but um but there should be some other stuff cuz one of the things I feel about manga is like there's a sweet spot which is somewhere between 0 and 3000 pages where it is so amazing and captivating and heartfelt. As we uh, said, I the, the more 20th century boys goes on the, the more I I want to drop off. Oh, interesting. I I'm just uh, I, I guess what it is, I can't keep up that level of. <gasps> yeah. Once you get to like volume seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. In, in fact, I'm behind. Crazy. I'm behind a whole bunch of volumes. That's what I keep telling myself. If I get a week off from work, I'm just going to sit down and catch up on 20th Century Boys, because I'm like behind like seven but, volumes. But it's like, um, wow, I'm ahead in 20th Century Boys. I knew that. You, feel, I knew you that feels are really wrong. Somehow. I know. I know. Um, I, I feel awful. But like Pluto, for example, Pluto is entirely the right. Um, yeah. The right length for me. I can see that. I think, and I think there are. I think there are volumes that will, because almost every manga goes on just a little bit too long. At least every one that I've read. Uh, and so something like Drifting Classroom, which I would love for you to try and read, I'm not sure you could make it through all twelve volumes, but you would enjoy the shit out of the first seven seen, or eight. But I probably could. Like twelve is a, as a twelve makes sense to me. Like Death Note also felt a bit too long. Yes, that's for me. Death Note. Um, essentially finished the conflict yes. like really early yeah. and then kept going yes which which was kind of a problem yeah it was one of those classic like you'll never see this coming and everyone's like wow we never saw that coming so it's over right it's like nope we still got these guys and exactly like, and you're like really yeah yeah wow yeah. nice try guys really nice try uh, yeah, that I actually it's a shame that people are not fond of the term jumping the shark because Death Note is like being jumped by a shark. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's De- just like... Death, Death Note definitely enjoys um, plot twists for the sake of plot twists. Yeah. 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 Which is actually a lot of the fun of it, at, at least until like they do the big one. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, Up at, until le- that point, at least delightful. in like the first three or four books. There really is a sense of, I have no idea where this is going at all. Because mm-hmm. anytime I think I know where it's going, they'll do something completely batshit. Oh, I know. It's so that scene where it looked like the two, like the two of them were like handcuffed to each other, and then it looked like they were going to be students at the same university. Or fucking awesome. Oh god, Death Note is. That's one that I should really dig out the old volumes and reread because I the the first six or seven volumes were so awesome. Anyway, Bakuman, 
keep reading. I think you will enjoy it uh, at least for a few volumes. Um, it's a shame we don't really have time for the uh, discussion of its inherent misogyny, and um, but I don't think I did a particularly good job. No, the, the, the discussion of misogyny basically was me saying, this is really, really misogynistic and really creepy, and I don't like the way that all the female characters are interchangeable and seem, seem as equally fuckable, and you being like, yeah, but you know... You can kind of look past that. <laughs> exactly. That, that, that was kind of the discussion, so it, it might be better if we just leave it at that and not disturb the entire... No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now that you've painted me in the best light possible, <laughs> I agree. Let's move on. Well, well what's your defense? Because I, I honestly don't remember much beyond the I think it's a cultural thing <laughs> and it gets better. I said, and then it gets worse. Yes. I said the cultural thing only exactly, at the yes. end. Yeah, you wow, know. you did a great job. Listen, I did a lot of equivocating in there that made me sound a lot less of an asshole than you just painted me as. <laughs> to be fair, you did say that you were kind of creeping yourself out when we were talking about it. Perfect. Thanks for <laughs> recapping. Okay. <laughs> Talk about Newsboy Legion and Fighting American and we'll bring this home. Are we going to lie? Are we going to try and crash it like Flashpoint? Um... Crash it like Flashpoint. That should be our wait what merch. (laughs) Really crash it? Crash it like Flashpoint. It's you know what I mean? It's like um it it sounds like a hip hop phrase. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like hey man. You said that honestly, my first thought was we're both so white. (laughs) (laughs) We are, but you're apparently not a misogynist and I am, so Well, I, I think we've known that for quite some time, Jeff. God damn it! <laughs> Moving on. Um, News by Legion. Oh, yeah, I was saying that News by Legion, I really like... Uh, first of all, I enjoyed it more than I expected to. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed it much more than Fighting American, even though Fighting American has a crazy-ass origin. Yes. Um, which I shall explain now, because let's face it, I don't think most of you have read Fighting American. And to be honest, I'm not really sure most of you want to read Fighting American. Uh, the origin is this. There are two brothers, one of whom is a war hero and an upstanding, strongly moral gentleman and a crusader against crime and corruption as a newsman. Uh, he's a, a television news announcer. Uh-huh. Um, but he is, because of his war injuries, basically he's in crutches all the time and he's no longer the, the outgoing rock him, sock him, more hero that he used to be. His brother is a coward uh, and does not really have... Maybe has the same moral sense, but does not have the strength to basically fight for it. Mm-hmm. Um, the war hero brother dies. He is killed by villains. And the US military then inserts the brain of the wimpy brother into the dead body of the war hero. And he becomes fighting American. Hmm. And he assumes his identity as well. And they never say anything like, where's your little brother? None of that. I'm really impressed that, so they actually put the the brain of the coward they, into no, the that, hero's body, huh? Yes. Wow. I bet they don't say, like, it's not, you know, we slice your head open. It's like, we've wired you up and your consciousness is going into him. Right. Uh, no, but right. yeah, that's the thing. And by that point, the coward has decided he's not going to be a coward because his brother's dead. Oh, I see. So it's not like he's a complete, you know, what am I going to do now that I'm strong? Right. Well, you know, that's fascinating. I was actually 
80% sure you were going to say that they put the brain of the br- brother and the, the Winfrey brother. Yeah, exactly. No, it's the other way around, which is kind of what makes it awesome. Wow. That is really interesting. Uh, but News by Legion has a, a twist or a gimmick that when I was reading it, I was like, this is a great gimmick and someone should use and someone should be using nowadays. And then realized it's the Daredevil gimmick, which mm-hmm. is that the superhero, everyone knows the superhero's identity. Mm-hmm. And when they confront him in his secret identity, he just lies and says it's not him. Mm-hmm. Which I really like about Daredevil as well. Right. I love in Daredevil that people are like, hey, Mr. Murdoch, so you did really well with the mafia last night. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and it's exactly the same thing used by Legion, where Jim, Har- Jim Harper comes around at the end of an adventure. And he's that, that's the other weird thing about used by Legion. When the Guardian gets beaten up, mm-hmm. Jim Harper has, like, black eye and bandages on the next day, which is really rare. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, physical violence has effects. But the, the, the news by Legion would always be like, yeah, look, you got hit in exactly the same place as the Guardian. That's really odd, isn't it? And he'd always be like, I don't know what you're talking about, boys. <laughs> Thought balloons, if only they knew. And, like, it's quite clear that they do. <laughs> it's really, really clear that the news by Legion know exactly who their guardian is. Also, I didn't realize until reading this book that that's why he's called Guardian. Mm, he's oh, the little guardian is. of the boys. Right, right. They're I all orphans. They're, I never would have gotten that. The setup is they're all orphans who are basically going to be sent to juvie. Mm-hmm. And he's the beat cop, and he's like, no, let me be the little guardian and give them one of chance. Right. Man, there's a lot of really good high concepts in that, you know? There's a, there's a lot. I mean, it's one of those things, like the when I was reading the, the Dick Cole Creeper, mm-hmm. that it was just like, if someone could just do this straight, right. the concept is so strong mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it would work. If, yeah. if they could just do it and not fuck around with it. Especially because in the, the first few stories, the new Spy Legion, are, they're not bad, but they're also not reformed. No, no. Do you know what I mean? Like, they have yeah. no problem basically breaking the law if it's what they think is the right thing to do. Yeah, they're they're sort of the Bowery boys in that regard. And, yeah. You know, and they're supposed to be. I mean, it's, but yeah, it kind of works. I'd read a couple of those stories in the, the old 100-page giants that DC did and, and loved them. So I kind of wish that, man, that and Kid Eternity. I loved those original Kid Eternity stories as a kid. I really loved them. Oh, my God. I wish there was such a, I wish there was a collection of that stuff. Um, who did Kid Eternity? I don't even know. Uh, I mean, let me see if I can find out via Wikipedia relatively uh, easily. Um, Kid Eternity, Kid Eternity, uh, appeared in Quality Comics December 1942. Uh, the character was sold to DC in, in 1956, although a lot of the say, said properties were lapsed into the public domain. Ooh, I want that citation noted so that I can know uh, who did that. But um, who did it? Who? It's who, I, I'm here. It's not actually saying who created them. Maybe yeah. they don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe I mean, it's, it's really like Kid Eternity DC Comics, and they talk about it. They talk about well, selling I mean, it. He was created forty two. It's very possible that he is in the public domain. Man, maybe that's why they haven't reused him lately. That would be the best. Anyway, so yeah, so it's very much like the the kid is uh, a nameless boy. He's you know who's killed when a U boat sank his grandfather's fishing boat, and um, 
he was apparently killed 75 years too soon. So to rectify the er error, the kid's brought back to life for another 75 years with a mission of upholding good in the world. And he's given the, the power to summon any good historical or mythological figure or animal by saying the word eternity. But wait, it's going to be good? Uh, you know, pretty much. I mean, he brings back characters like, um, you know, George Washington or something like that. He probably could use... Uh, use it to, to summon um, evil characters, but I don't think he does that. I think that's Grant Morrison's twist in the miniseries. Um, in in the original, he just brings back good good heroes and occasionally fictional characters and stuff like that. So it's just kind of awesome. Um, he he ended up uh, he's on the Justice Society for a while, wasn't he? And he's on the Teen Titans. Yeah. Yeah, but that's all – I want to say all of that shit happens after – particularly the Teen Titans stuff – after the Grant Morrison – Oh, yeah. No, Grant Morrison was the one who brought him back, yeah. Yeah, brought him back and made him like – And then there was a great Anastasi series. Yes. is it Was it great? Yeah. It was, it was, it was great in the sense of – remember how Anastasi – do you remember Anastasi's uh, Daredevil? Mm-hmm. Do you remember how it was kind of off-kilter? Yes, Exactly. Okay, so imagine that with none of the superhero trappings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's essentially just like spiraling into craziness every single issue. Right. Which, I, you know, if it had been any other character but Kid Eternity, I would have dug it. But Kid Eternity, it was him, and he had Mr. Keeper, who was sort of like his guardian angel, who was like a big, fat, bald dude, and they would run around kind of solving crimes. And it was very in that – it was in a very strange – I'm trying to think if Kid Eternity was even vulnerable in any way. It was very much, he was almost like the Spectre with just a cooler power. But you know what? I have a sneaking suspicion if that stuff is in the public domain, I'm going to have to hit the the public domain comic book database and try and find some of those. I bet I can download some of them for the iPad. I bet you could download them even if they're not the public domain, Jeff. The internet is a um, wilds and wooly place. That is true. That is totally true. However, it is uh, there's a lot of wild wool I don't have any experience with. So. It's true. I, I do uh, I do find myself thinking, especially about this Kirbyverse stuff that I was reading, that I wish there was some way to just get this stuff online legally, I guess. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like for, for publishers who aren't in existence anymore. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely wish there was some way that I could get like the Malibu stuff. If the if the if all the Malibu material was oh. available for ninety nine cents in Comicsology, if Marvel just put it out, mm-hmm. I would buy the shit out of that. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things that to me is really, I guess, frustrating about DC and Marvel's digital approach. More Marvel, but because DC. When they've put like older back issues, especially ninety nine DC with their ninety nine cent stuff during the retroactive specials, that shit was almost irresistible to me. I really could not escape it. Uh, I I downloaded issues of like that the five issues of Firestorm. I downloaded some of the Justice League stuff. I I downloaded the classic. They put in like sixteen issues of. Batman from the 40s, I bought all of that shit. And even when it wasn't on sale, I just wish they did more of that. Like, it would cost them nothing to build up that back issue library. Well, I, I, I think they will. Mm. 
I genuinely do. I think it's just that right now, they're like, well, we're building up our material. Why don't we do more recent stuff that can then lead people to buy the trades? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, I don't know. They just more of it faster. <laughs> oh no, entirely. Like I, I, I really wish there was more old, genuinely old material. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I think that's it's that stuff is there. It exists, and it's not already available as a trade. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think you're going to cannibalize trade sales. Well, no. Because there's no trades to cannibalize. Right, exactly. There is no no trades of Ultra that are going to, you know. And it's true. It's like I'm just I'm just the sort of person that does not – I don't want back issues anymore. This It's kind of interesting. This is this thing that I keep talking about with Hibbs is he is like – Every time he's like, who's going to pay money for a comic book when there's no actual physical comic book that you can like hold or resell? And I'm like, me, goddammit, you know, I'm totally that person. I don't I don't want to um, have any more comic books, you know, I've got way too many of them as it is. And it's, you know, I, I'm I'm tired of having all these damn long boxes. I would love to have everything in one place. Have you seen, by the way, that uh, the Comicsology revamp that they did last week? Uh, a little bit. Did, um, did you see they basically made the change that you wanted them to make all along? Uh, no, no. Which is what? Comics no longer say volume. They have the years in which they run. Oh, that's fantastic. And Marvel, in particular, are releasing them as individual series. So, for example, you can get Avengers The Grease Scroll War issue one, which is the first issue of that storyline. Yeah, I noticed, I think I mentioned they had seemed to be doing that with, like, the Mutant Massacre and stuff like that. So um, I, I think that that's, yeah, that's great. The thing that sucked is I uploaded to Comixology 3.0, and they were like, great, now you have to download all of your books again. Just a one-time thing. And I'm like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I had so many books on my iPad that were suddenly inaccessible. So I've only downloaded a few, and I, I've been too busy, so I haven't actually spent a lot of time with it. But at the time, I was like, God damn it, not happy. So have you used it at all, the Comixology? For the iPad? Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't used 3.0, but um, I've used it for the iPad. I don't think it's changed the reading experience. Right. No, no, it seems to be the same, at least from the few that I've downloaded. Uh, yeah, organizationally, it's supposed to be different. Yes, and, which I, I really like. I love that it's now the years. Yeah. I think yeah. that's so much easier than saying, like, volume one, volume two, all that nonsense. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. <sighs> well, sir, on that bombshell, as you would say. Are, are, yeah, are, are we done? Have we have we finished our, our we, recap? Yeah, I think, I think we actually did, which is pretty impressive. Uh, let me go over our list here. Thanked people, Flashpoint, Justice League, Bakaman, Thor... Trial of the Flashpoint, although not as specific. Yep, we did it. Well, well, listeners, uh, I'm sorry if we seem somewhat listless uh, and not as funny as normal, but it's because <laughs> this really is the second time we've done this one. You know, and it's a shame because we were pretty. We we had some pretty styling stuff on there on that first one. On the other hand, some really good points. I think you made some really good um, arguments and discussion about Flashpoint and Justice League much better than the first time around, I think. Also, this time, I think we might have um, avoided the 20 minutes of us talking about other stuff at the start. 
that's a shame, though. I remember there being some really good stuff. Like, I'm very bummed that people aren't going to know about Edie's obsession with people's hands, for example. Oh, that's right. Or The Muppet Show. Yeah, exactly. Or the so. fact that you are a Muppet, which you would be decided through the process of elimination. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. You're really just going to have to use your imagination as to how we quite actually worked out that yeah. you have a Muppet. It, it was pretty awesome. Uh, actually, you're a Muppet too, so I think we agree. You get compared more, even more I do, than I do. I do get compared to Muppet a lot. Actually, as I've said, I I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. Um, is there anything you'd like me, even though you're not getting back issues? Is there anything you'd like me to look out for in Excalibur on the half half sale? Ooh, yeah, on the half off sale. You know, let me think about that. And maybe I'll email you because their prices were crazy cheap. Like I picked up all those issues of Zombie that I really quite enjoyed. And that was when it wasn't even on sale. And it was no, exactly. Yeah. The half-off sales are always good. And I'm actually going to go to this one. That's supposed to last month. Somehow I missed. And I can't even remember what I was doing that I missed. But I remember that I didn't actually get a chance to go to the store. I remember I, you talking to me about it and being like, yeah, I've got this sale. It's a big one and I want to go, but I can't because of – I don't remember. Yeah, and I can't had. remember what it was. Was it a junket? Were you out of town for some uh, – No. No, I was definitely in town, and it's not even, I don't even think it was one of the times where, you know, someone was staying, so I was busy socializing. I honestly don't remember what it was. Damn. I know, it's, it's, it's annoying me to forget that, but, um, yeah, if you, if you can think of anything, then send it along. I will. I definitely will. And, uh, listeners, we should officially sign off. Uh, please drop us a note if you want at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, definitely drop us a review on iTunes. Actually, somebody did recently, and I hadn't had a chance to read it. Oh, they did? Oh, I'm going to go and check now. And yeah, I yeah. really hope it's not a bad review. Uh, <laughs> that would be hilarious if it's a bad review. I really, I really that would be great. Like, wow, this person hates us. Exactly. It'll be, it'll be like when I that spectacular blog comment on Instagram last week. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, my God. Truly, well, I was just like, oh, I'm having a horrible week, and then I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) AJ Purcell, thank you so much for dropping us a note. Also, uh, a great – he's a hard critic. He actually gave us four out of five stars, Um, which, for the most part, I'm very spoiled by all our five-star reviews, so I'm actually okay with it. I'm just very happy (laughs) – <laughs> he talks about it, worrying about us the day we decide to go grim and gritty and pack on a lot of pouches. So that will we are getting relaunched. So this is our our post relaunch debut. Oh gosh, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So what do you look like today, Jeff? Uh, Jeff, what are you wearing? Yeah, I I have a collar and I'm a misogynist, Graham. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad that we have finally decided that. And yourself, the Graham McMillan of Africa? <laughs> well, I also have a collar, obviously. Obviously. I also have really weird shoulder pads that aren't really shoulder pads until you get close up and you see they're weirdly circular. I don't know if you've noticed that in Justice League. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, and I am really garishly colored. <laughs> To be fair, your new logo is pretty okay, though. It's true. It's not as bad as the new Incredible Hulk logo that um, I, I'm just taking a moment here to complain about. Dear Internet, when you give DC Comics a hard time for designing 52 new logos and then say these aren't all winners, and then Marvel releases their new Incredible Hulk logo and it is a stunning piece of shit and what <laughs> says anything, I am disappointed in all of you. The Incredible Hulk logo is 
horrible. Where can I see it? Can I see it at uh, uh, the, the, I, uh, Wherever had the Ladron uh, variant cover that was released last week. Oh, it's at the bottom yeah. of that, and yeah. it is stunningly bad design. Really horrible, horrible, horrible. And I'm kind of stunned that no one called him out on it. Yeah, yeah, no shit. Uh, hmm. I will hunt that up. I remember seeing uh, seeing Jason Aaron like posting the Ladron cover on his blog. I think, but I don't remember if it had the logo in it by that point or not. Uh, well, when it was officially released by Marvel, it definitely had the cover. So I, I definitely had the logo. So chances are it does, because I don't think you probably put it out there before it was officially released. Yeah, it's it, it was probably so bad I actually tuned it out. Okay, Jason Aaron blog. Let's see here. Jason Aaron info. Incredible Hulk smashing into stores. Blah, 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 blah. Hulk much smash. Oh, yeah, that, really? That thing? Yeah, that's not good. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, admittedly, the positioning's bad, but yeah, that is horrible. That's, that's just an ugly, ugly logo. Yeah, it's ugly. Why so, is it skewed like that? Is the it, idea that Hulk is some sort of, like, stair climber now or something? No, what, what I think is, I think it's skewed like that because it's actually fairly reminiscent of the 1970s logo. Yeah, it is a little bit. I mean, but worse. Somehow, yeah, so. just just lazy bad design. Yeah, um, that just Naren just reminds me, and we're like, yeah, we're done, listeners. We're not. Um, <laughs> did you see the Kieran Gillen interview where he just he defined what schism is actually about? No, I didn't. Schism is about uh, an ideological dispute between Cyclops and Wolverine over whether uh, over how much of today you can sacrifice for tomorrow. Really? He actually said that out loud, like in an interview. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the tagline. I mean, that's 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 if you're writing solicitation copy. But the three issues that I read, that's not the case. But here's the thing: I agree with you. Mm-hmm. But then I thought the problem with this is how schism has been sold, right? Because schism has to introduce the schism. Mm-hmm. It can't resolve it. Mm-hmm. So creating a five-issue series, you like it's actually fairly quick to introduce dilemma. Mm-hmm. You've got to have filler in there, right? So is the problem a that we've been sold it as an event, b that the series is just too long, mm-hmm. or c that that's like that Jason Aaron's just not done a good job of actually explaining that that's what the series is about. Well, I, no, because I think actually what he did was I well. Or to put it another way, I have enjoyed what Jason Aaron has done by making it not sound quite so filled with rhetoric and cant as Karen Gillan's pull quote. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. by having basically one of the things that I've enjoyed about Schism is the fact that uh, Scott Summers and Logan have treated each other with respect at every stage through the miniseries, even as they have utterly disagreed with one another, you know, but there's a lot of, at least in the first issue, there was a lot of, like, Logan disagrees with Cyclops, but he's going along with what he's saying because he's the boss. Cyclops actually gives a lot of props to Logan at pretty much each and every turn. 
So they more or less respect each other throughout, I suppose. And what I like is at the end, when it's this bad situation that all goes to shit, each of them have very different decisions about what their how of what should have been done or what was important at that moment. Mm. And I don't know. It just felt a little better dramatized. Like to me, it doesn't feel like, Oh, it's the shape of the future thing. It's the idea of like, here's how these guys are fundamentally different, I suppose. Um, and I sort of liked that it was different that way, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's not making sense. Uh, no, no, it makes perfect sense. But do so, you do you feel that the way that it has been promoted mm-hmm. is not what the story is, I guess? Oh, completely, yeah, absolutely. That, that, I guess that's what I'm trying to get at, because I've been feeling very um, unhappy, I guess, with schism. But what I really think I'm unhappy about is that it's not doing what I thought it was going to do. Which is interesting. Because, because what happens is, every issue I'm like, oh, that's a nice moment. Right. That's a nice moment. And then I finish the book and I'm like, hey, but where's it going? Right. Do you know See, what I mean? And it's yeah. because I've been sold it as, not only as, they're going to fight, but they're going to fight. It's going to split up the X-Men. You know what's happening four months from now. Right. And it well, becomes a totally different thing. I almost wish they had called it, like, you know, generic X-Men miniseries. And right. get all of the schism stuff out of it. Mm-hmm. So that I was just like, you know, if they call it like, you know, the Sentinel's return or whatever. Right. Then it'd be a totally different thing. And all, everything he's doing would have much more impact. So here's the thing, Graham. What I find fascinating is, on the one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, I didn't see you do anything but complain about what Schism was from the day that it was announced until you actually started reading it. So is it worse that it is actually a series that isn't doing what you thought it would, which was something that you weren't interested in and yeah, has yes. better moments? Or Yes. Mm-hmm. Because I think selling it the way they sold it mm-hmm. is underselling what the book actually is. But also managing to make people who want to read what they sold dislike it because it's not fulfilling those needs either. Right. Right, which is if, a little bit you, of that. If you release Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris mm-hmm. and type it with the trailers for Transformers 3. Right. That's I, admittedly a massive extreme on both sides of that comparison. Mm-hmm. But do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, no. You're, no, no, you're I, doing a disservice to everyone. Right. Well, and this this was kind of my point, I think, from the other week is – this is why, as much as I really like Jason Aaron, I think he's in real trouble in the marketplace, you know? And maybe everyone <laughs> will prove he? me wrong, but... Well, because he is being hyped as one thing, and he is very good, but he is not necessarily that thing. You know what I mean? Sure, I like but, but again, stuff. is that is that Jason Aaron in trouble, or is that Marvel don't know how to push Jason Aaron? Because they're different things. Because, for example, I would say Matt Fraction is, in some sense, more in trouble than Jason Aaron because Jason Aaron's book is at least competent in a way that... For example, Schism is more competent than uh, For Yourself. Agreed. Absolutely. And ultimately, and this is where everyone is going to point and laugh, mm-hmm. quality will ultimately out. Maybe not in the sales figures now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Youngblood outsold Sandman. Right. 
But which one are people reading 20 years later? I'm thinking. No, 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 no. I know, I know. You're absolutely... On the one hand, you're right. And believe me, I'm a guy who's bought a lot of Jason Aaron's work and will continue to. I just have a suspicion that... I mean, there's a little bit of a false dichotomy, but I see your point. Like, what's better? Someone who's giving you the big fanboy moments, but is doing it in a way that is genuinely unhinged from quality or ability, or someone who is giving you offbeat, off-kilter moments that are effective, but aren't what's being sold on the tin. And, you know, I just think, obviously, as someone who buys a huge chunk of Jason Aaron's books, uh, certainly compared to Fractions, I would say that I have my answer. I'm just saying that in the marketplace, Jason Aaron's books are not selling especially well. And as far as I can tell, their sales are going down, you know? Like this Wolverine, this second Wolverine storyline that he did right after Wolverine comes back from hell was a huge mistake. It was a big mistake. Wait, wait, mistake, mistake how? Mistake on a creative level or mistake on a sales level or both? Um, I think it's a mistake on the creative level. It's going to manifest as a mistake on the sales level because I think even with what Jason Aaron was trying to do with his storyline, he spent too long doing it. Like I finished that series and I was that mini series, his second arc. And I'm like, Oh, that has one or two points that kind of worked. Okay. And one point that sort of missed the ball. It was still two or three issues too long. I'd have to look back on it, but I think it really was like, Actually, I don't know. He comes back from hell. There's a scene where he punches everyone. Maybe this has only been a four-issue storyline, the red right hand stuff, but it has been it's been too long. It should have been a really good Wolverine annual and not a four-issue story arc. And he he fucked it up. He really like if you bring Wolverine to hell and you bring him back pissed, you don't finish it off with a relatively quiet story about the insidiousness of vengeance, you know? Or you can, but you need to do it in a big ass I hate to say it, but Mark Millerian kind of way where it is Wolverine punching robo dinosaurs, you know? It's like I don't know how to say it better than that. I So they market I don't necessarily know if they marketed it poorly, but as the more or less second arc in a relaunched Wolverine story where he goes right back to telling the stories that got the series canceled under him in the first place. It's a big mistake. It's a... <laughs> so, you know, that that's kind of what I, I, I think. And I sort of think that this is a little bit of the deal with Schism, where I think that Schism, everybody's going to, if it had been the Sentinel's return, people, it would have sold more or less the same numbers that it was selling. Well, no, it would have sold half the numbers that it would have, but you would have less people disappointed with it. And I suspect there's going to be a lot of people disappointed by the time Schism totally wraps up. Do you think, because it will be done, for want of a better way of putting it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it will have, by the end of it, there will have been the Schism. Yeah, it's true. But you know what? You don't have, well, and who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there will be some awesome Wolverine punching Cyclops action. But considering, as you know, the way that Marvel marketed it, it was designed to be 
whose side are you on? Teen Cyclops? Teen Wolverine? And instead what you got was kind of a more nuanced study of two types that are driven driving each other apart. But also the whole like, ooh, how much are you going to sacrifice today to give for tomorrow or whatever? I'm sorry. I just, I don't think that, I, I think that's the side of the series that A, bored me that I didn't want to read, and B, I'm glad that I didn't want to get, that I didn't get when I picked up Schism, and C, um, I think that people reading that are going to be going to the book and being dis- mystified when they don't really see that, uh, in, except in the most um, understated way. You know what I mean? Understated X-Men comics are is, is a tough deal. Like, I don't, I'm not really sure that that's what people want. I'm not sure that's what, what I want, you know? I want stuff with nuance and character development, but I'm not sure that I really want it. That's not the only thing that I want from an X-Men comic. You want nuance, character development, and punching. Yeah, exactly. That's not so hard, right? But weirdly enough, like, I feel like you're getting that from Schism. There hasn't been that much punching. Oh, the, have you read the third issue? Yeah, is that the one where it's like all the terrorists and the, the Hellfire Club kids and stuff yeah. like that? It's okay. It was all right. Not enough punching for you? It was, a, it was a little low on the punching. I think because a lot of it was very much like... <laughs> it sounds like we're being sarcastic, but we're actually not as well. It's the funny part. Not enough punching? Eh, not really. No, no not so much. I, I Unfortunately, I'm, the way my computer's set up, I, I can't o- open up my my file and look at it and tell you what, what I think is wrong. Um, but yeah, not, not, I, there, there was some fight scenes where it shows them everyone that shows them kicking the X-Men's ass in ways that were sort of new and interesting, but also somehow, what can I say? That wasn't a fight scene. That was a, that was a, the bad guys win scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, and that's, that's not good enough for you. Yeah, I don't know how how to describe it. Like, like when a bad guy shows up and he beats everyone so that you put someone in a cliffhanger, that's not so much an action scene to me. What if there's an action scene before that, though? Mm, maybe. Why was there an action scene before that? No, I'm I'm just I'm just asking. I'm, I'm getting into the hypotheticals now. Uh, I don't know. You know, that is a good question. Let's put it this way: if you have a scene where some of the guys win and some of the guys lose, then it feels a little bit more like a quote-unquote fight scene to me. If you have a scene like, like, um, what am I thinking of here? Like, like when Magneto shows up and he, uh, uh, like, drains all the iron out of everyone's blood so they pass out, that is not a fight scene to me. If it's a, it's an opportunity for him to knock everyone out because he's caught them by surprise, and then he puts them in a death trap, and then they escape, and then they jump him when he's caught off guard, and they're able to like barely escape from his volcano volcano lair um, at the last minute, but they've caused him more damage and managed to get away. That feels like a fight scene to me, you know. But this was kind of a oh, here's a scene where the heroes have to lose. And therefore, everyone loses, and it's got to be done relatively quickly. It was clever, so it didn't feel perfunctory, but it was at the same time, I thought, kind of underwhelming. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm tired, and I'm Ke- generalizing Ke- badly. Kieran so. Gillen, now we know what to put into Uncanny X-Men. <laughs> 
Yes, I can see him taking this advice to heart. Also, everyone, I look forward to discussing non-hypotheticals with Graham next week because we have actually been doing this for so many hours now. My brain is closing off. So That's your way of saying you want, you want it to be done, isn't it? No, I think actually half an hour ago when I said, okay, we're done, was my way of... You can just edit all that chunk into earlier before you say that, so it's like we actually finish properly. Yeah, there we go. And then we're done. Well, I sort of like our face, our, our false endings a little bit. I'm just really too tired now. By this yeah, point. no, at, at this point, we have been talking for, what, four hours? Four so, hours. Something, something like that, seriously. Yeah, it is. It's, it's 5.30. We can talk for four hours. Four hours. Mostly on many of the same topics twice. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder both of us feel punchy. Jesus. Exactly. So on that note, listeners, we will bid you a farewell so I can cross-examine Graham about gossip and stuff. And we will see you here next week. Bye. And I sw- Goodbye. And I promise to hit record this time.